presented by Masters in Motion. This week is with cinematographer Natalie Kingston. Natalie's most recent project just premiered at Tribeca called Lost Bayou. That uh, feature film was also directed by her husband. Uh, they've been a, a team working together for years now, uh, and to watch uh, the culmination of that uh, relationship collaborative relationship with um, getting a feature into Tribeca is uh, incredible and we uh, sat down and talked about that. She is also a cinematographer for Ryan Booth who was on the show last week and uh, Ryan had mentioned what it's like to collaborate with her and uh, she kind of gave the uh, perspective from her side which uh, was interesting and great. Um, some of We discussed two of uh, her um, music videos that you can watch on her website if it interests you to check that out beforehand. Uh, the one that she did for, with Billie Eilish and that was also with Ryan Booth and then one that she shot for PJ Morton. Uh, we spoke about it all, spoke about um, her ascendancy and how she started on the later side, having only decided to become a cinematographer at the age of 29, which similarly to Ryan, that is when he decided that he wanted to get into film and how they're kind of kindred, kindred spirits in that way. Uh, so it was a great conversation to hear about Natalie's journey. And, you know, my, my biggest takeaway is just the way that she kind of takes it as it, as it as it comes and isn't trying to or overthink the, the steps in, the, in, in, in her career and how she's trying to plot that. A lot of it is just about doing the work and good things follow. So there's there's definitely something to take away from that type of approach and watching someone succeed at that. And so uh, this week we are presented by Masters in Motion. Like I said, it is a three-day filmmaking conference in Austin, Texas, where uh, great speakers, all like ASC cinematographers, AC editors, great production designers, they all come down to speak. And most importantly, in my opinion, they come and hang out and uh, they go out at night. You can buy them a beer, pick their brain, really get to actually know them. It's one of the perks of the conference. And so that is Masters in Motion. It happens every December in Austin. So... Thank you for being here. This is Natalie Kingston Week on the pod, and here we go. You know, every DP is different, and I kind of, some come into it late, and then others, like their bio is the classic, I was running around with a camera at the age of eight at Christmas, um, and yours <laughs> has that kind of uh, information in the bio. So how, how early on were you trying to film things and, and think about life in that way? Yeah, um, I, I started to, to film things, yeah, probably around 10 years old with, with my parents, you know, VHS camcorder. Um yeah, I, I got my hands on that and I was really just became really infatuated with it. So that was like, that was what I did. <laughs> but of course, I didn't know what I was doing or, you know, but, yeah. but the idea of of making things with a camera and showing it to people after really excited me and, and stuck with me. Did you come from a family that knew about the art world and that kind of stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, my parents weren't artists. My, my dad is a pharmacist. And my mom's a teacher. Okay. Um, but they've always been really supportive of that. Um, mm -hmm. my, my aunt's an artist. Um, she did, she used to do a lot of oil paintings and stuff. But um, I guess my parents, especially my mom and my grandmother, really exposed me to a lot of art, especially theater. Mm -hmm. They took us to the theater at a very young age and exposed us to tons of musicals and plays and stuff like that. Um, and that really excited me. I was really always into that. Um, was there a uh, yeah. moment where things kind of switched and you were, you had known about cinematography as an art form and that you wanted to pursue that? Was there some, was there a moment where you kind of um, knew that you yeah, can recall? Yeah, it took a while to know that it was specifically cinematography. Yeah. Because I didn't even know how to like break in the industry. I'm, I'm from uh, South Louisiana. Um, I live in, I'm from a really small town in South Louisiana called New Iberia, which is 
there's no, you know, film scene whatsoever. Yeah. So of course, you know, being a little girl from the South, just like, how do you, how do you even do this? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I, so I, I went to, cause the idea, you know, like I said, of, of doing things with a camera and, and making these little films stuck with me. So, um, when, when it came time for college, um, I, I went to a college kind of close to home and the closest thing I could find to filmmaking was they didn't have a film program mm-hmm. when I went, um, but it was mass communication. So I majored in that, yeah. you know, that was more like broad kind of broadcasting and writing and stuff like that. I did like the that. same. I did the same. Oh uh, yeah. So, you yeah. know, <laughs> um, so yeah, so still of course didn't know what cinematographer was. Um, then, you know, after that, it was a very winding path. So, <laughs> you know, so took you didn't a job, like not in the industry at all. Like I was, that's really in interesting. Management. <laughs> so you didn't learn, and, you didn't learn in a classically trained way about uh, no. cinematography. No, it wasn't until I was actually working as an AC on a film set that I was like, Oh, uh, okay. This is a cinematographer and this is what they do. And that really fascinated me. So that, that was like the moment where I was like, okay, I can narrow my path down to, to try to pursue this somehow, however you do that. <laughs> wow. I mean, I think that, that that aspect of it is rare. So you, you only learn by being on set. Yeah, pretty much. The, uh, I didn't go to film school. Um, by the time I had started to get serious about cinematography specifically, I was, you know, I'd been working in the industry for a little while now. So I didn't want to go back to film school and, you know, take out more debt and time and da da da. So I, I found a short term program as uh, a cinematography intensive at um, a school called Maine Media College and Workshops. Uh, yeah, about it, was, that. it was a three month thing, and, and that place like, really changed my life. It's not like I learned everything in those three months, but no, no. you know, a light bulb sort of switched and set off, and I started to, to understand light and, and actually see light for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was when, and that was like, I was in my late twenties, I was like 29. Oh my God. Yeah. So I had a very late start. <laughs> oh wow. Um, I was not yeah. aware of that. And that's really fascinating to hear. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And that's when I started to get serious. So after I got back from Maine, I was like, okay, I'm never going to AC again. I'm never going to do anything else. I'm going to, I'm going to be a DP. And so put myself out there like that. When you made that choice, um, what, what is that next step then? Because I think a lot of people, get to, to that place, but they're like, I'm going to be a DP. I'm not going to be an AC more. That's it. And I'm like, yeah. how do I actually do that? You know, yeah. like, what, what was your it move was, to make that actually happen for you? Well, I, I was, so I was with my now husband. We were dating at the time. Mm-hmm. And when I met him, he was also a DP. Um, so we were kind of working independently. Then when I got back from Maine, I would actually AC for him. <laughs> uh, uh, but when I got back from Maine, I was like, okay, we, we wanted to work together. So it's like, how do we do that? And I was like, well, I'm not going to direct. You direct. <laughs> um, so he kind of started directing at a default, and I started shooting for him. Mm-hmm. So we just basically started creating our own projects. So, so you we, started working with friends in a general sense. We were working with friends, making short films. Yeah. Uh, the first thing we did together was a music video that I was super proud of, you know, shot on the 7D and an anamorphic filter <laughs> streak filter <laughs> and uh and i was super and actually i look at it i'm like you know what it's actually not that bad but um yeah just working with friends and we started doing these like local regional commercials together we started a company mm. so really kind of started that way and then i started to get hired you know from other people shooting docs and that makes sense and was in, that, in that transitional moment between you've gotten your things off the ground 
but you're still not in a, you know, in a the more, more professional realm, perhaps? Like, what was that shift? Was there one major project that kind of really changed things? Where was that moment that you think it kind of went from, well, now I'm making stuff to making serious things and getting the attention of, of bigger people? Yeah, well, it was, it was, it was quite an evolution because, like, Brian, my husband, and I were working together so much, almost kind of exclusively at the beginning. So there was this, like, evolution of us, like, we we, we would kind of, like, we became known as, like, the same person. They just, people lumped us into, like, well, mm-hmm. Brian and Natalie, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we worked, you know, which in the beginning was okay, but then, you know, we needed to sort of discover ourselves. Yeah, I could see that becoming problematic. Artists, you know? It's, like, so it's beneficial was, yeah, to a point. Yeah, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. Yeah. So there were a lot of you know, a lot of conflict and a lot of just like sitting down, having discussions, okay, how do we do this? How do we keep working together? Um, but it was really when I started to working with other directors, you know, that took me seriously and that would hire me. Um, I can see how that would be And then so I was important. like, okay, well, I'm getting hired as a freelance DP. It's not just through our company, people just coming to us and we work together at a default, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, other people, other directors were, were starting to take notice and, and hire me to shoot their projects. So um, that... That actually made um, Brian and I's relationship even stronger because I had the experience outside of our. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, when a soccer you know? team puts a player out for loan, they, they come back better. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious when you first started working out with, with other directors that you must have such an unbelievable shorthand with your husband, one, because he's your husband, and then two, because he's the only person that you really shot for. What yeah. was that transition like then working, meeting strangers and working on projects with people you definitely don't know as well? Yeah, that was a good question because, you know, I would, you know, yeah, kind of in the beginning, it was like, I would assume it would be doing it like our way and in, in his way that we've done it. So it was, it was, it was a learning curve of like adapting to those other directors process and, and realizing like, it's, it's going to be a little different, you know, Do you feel and, like- and, and it's going to be outside of my comfort zone and how basically I learned. Yeah. Know? So, I mean, adaptability is probably a key characteristic. I guess you would, would you, you would say that you have that. That's that's something. That yeah. Take... Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think you, you have to have that as a DP. You yeah. know, you have to adapt to every director's process. And, yeah. How they like to work for sure. So since, since you started later and even just like the notion of really seeing light only happened at like 29 for something in terms of your aesthetic and your creative taste, how did you develop that do you think that you had that prior to that or did you really only start to develop it once you could actually look at an image and really see the light I'm curious where uh-huh. your your style and tone came in how you developed it uh-huh. that's a good question I mean I started to consciously develop it mm. at that time that's but the I word think there it? was a lot of subconscious stuff going on because I was still shooting before that like I right. started you know to shoot shorts and stuff on the side even before like I got into to film I was shooting and editing and directing this like doc style tv show at this local tv station so i you know i had gotten my hands really dirty with a camera and and started to kind of get a feel for what i liked but um but yeah when when i went to maine you know i really started to like i I became exposed to more films and artwork and and that kind of stuff um so really started to ask myself like what kinds of things do i like and and why Mm -hmm. why do i like it you know? There was like intentional internal questions happening yeah. for the first time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, I think exactly. Con- conscious or subconscious is the dividing line. Because, of course, you're always going to have, you know, things influencing your taste. But now you're actually thinking about it constructively. Right. That makes sense yeah. to me. Um, in the yeah. same way, in terms of that intentionality, 
once you started working with directors and stuff, at a certain point, I think you probably had to start thinking about career management in the sense of, you know, how do I get to the places I want to get to? How do I, you know, I don't know if having an agent was a stated goal or if they just knocked on your door and then you said, okay, like, how do you, how, you know, cause I, sometimes you get hit up on, on uh, you know, by, without, yeah. without trying versus trying. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you view those things in your, in that ascendancy period? Um, yeah, I mean, in the beginning, it's not something I thought of at all. No, it can't um, be. I only kind of started to think of that maybe in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe like three years ago, I was like really like focused on, okay, I got to get an agent because that's the thing that I need right now because I'm at this point in my career. Um, and so went on a couple of meetings and, you know, nothing really panned out. What was that so signifier? Because I, like, I really actually do need it now. What was that signifier to you? When, what, what made you feel that way after not feeling um, that way? I guess I just started to, um, my peers had agents. Mm-hmm. Um, pe- you know, I actually, you know, did a few jobs and the producer was like, okay, well, who's your agent? Can I, can I, you know, talk to them? It's like, I don't, I don't have one. Sure. It's like, huh, maybe, <laughs> you know, I, I need to get one. And so it's, it's, it's almost like, was letting something, you know a something's bit. wrong. I don't, I, 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 I need this person, but, um, yeah. But yeah, after after those few meetings just didn't work out, you know, I just I guess I wasn't ready or whatever timing wasn't right. I was just like, OK, I'm just going to get this out of my head because that's not the right thing to focus on. I just mm-hmm. need to focus on the work and mm-hmm. and um, telling stories with with images and getting better at that. But and that's then, great to hear, though, because obviously looking at where you are now and who reps you and your portfolio of work, that there was a time where you tried and they all said no. I mean, yeah, that's really yeah. something to hold on to, I think. Totally. Yeah. And then someone told me, you know, when, when it's meant to happen, it'll happen and they'll find you. And that's exactly what happened. It's out of the blue. My now agent, you know, called me up and, um, asked to meet up and then, yeah. And then I was signed. And, and do you feel that, um, things did, did change either in potentially the projects that you were getting or the, um, collaborators that you were able to interact with? through that yeah and it, and it's not like they're like getting me all the work now because i don't think that's really the job of, of an agent you know mm-hmm. i know every um, single person that i ask this they're all yeah, like they don't get me yeah. the work. so it's yeah. not like oh yeah all of a sudden I have this influx of no. work yeah no. but it, it it did like shift things because i feel like you know it i don't know it um maybe legitimized me in a way um you know and i and i guess maybe the caliber of jobs kind of stepped up Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the majority of my jobs come through the relationships I have with, with Naturally. directors and producers. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, you know. and in terms of those relationships, what were, so, what were like the, the directors that come to mind that you have really great relationships with and what about those, either those people or the, those relationships in general, the projects, what makes it different? What makes those the ones that you think yeah. happen really well? Yeah. That's a good question. It's something I think about a lot. Um, yeah, just to name a few, uh, my husband, obviously we, we still work together, but it's not as frequent and, and that's, um, I think a a great, a great thing. thing. Um, so he, um, his name is Brian Richard. Um, also Ryan Booth has been, has become a frequent collaborator in Mm -hmm. the past, uh, year or so. Um, and, and it was one of those things since the first time we were on set together, just, clicked somehow it's like we had this shorthand that we didn't know we had and it, it felt like we had been working together for a while do you um, do you say think that that's just because of um 
without having to speak to each other, you guys both have a similar aesthetic. So your idea yeah. is just one that he would have said anyway, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, definitely. Cause we have the similar aesthetic, similar taste, um, drawn to similar, you know, types of photography and artwork. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we had been chatting for a while prior to working together. So I think, you know, the vibe was there. Um, we're also the same age and kind of had a similar. Hmm. Path, I was going to you know, say when you said twenty nine, <laughs> that's like like when he uh, did the Canon thing and really started his shift away from the audio engineering world was at twenty nine as well. Yeah, exactly. So, so we really bonded about that. Yeah, no, I'm sure you um, would. Yeah, yeah, and it's just you know he he likes to to get deep and peel back layers and and it, and that's that's the number one thing that I love to do with a with a director is just. Um, getting in their headspace, just, you know, sitting for hours on end, you know, especially with narrative, just in inventing a visual language together. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that's a beautiful thing. So, so directors who are willing to just be a little vulnerable and have these, you know, open-ended discussions and, yes. you know, and bond that way is just, it's really, really exciting. What happens when you find instances where the vulnerability isn't, isn't happening? Is it, is that just like, well, that's not a good fit and you kind of can suss that out and you don't work together or like you're in yeah, the throes I mean, of it? Um, yeah, and that definitely has happened before. Um, you know, you just really have to adapt to, to that director's process. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you find out in the middle of pre-production, like, oh, okay, this isn't, isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, maybe they're not willing to go there. Yeah. But I want to go there, but you, you can't, yeah. you know, um, they're the director. And, and, and so you just kind of you follow suit and do the best you can and, and bring as much as you can mm -hmm. um, and as much as they want to the table. And, and some directors don't don't want all you have to give, you know, not every. And, mm -hmm. and that was that was something I've, I've learned is just not, you know, not every director wants to sit there for hours on end and just, uh, you know, peel back those layers and, and analyze and. Yeah, because you know. I, I was fascinated because Ryan tells this story that is on his episode about, um, and he was like adamant to tell it, like we were going to move on. He's like, I have to tell this story uh, about when you, because he was all about, you know, how do you fight for time and how do you fight for your look and how do you continue to make things yours even though you're in this entire arena compromise, especially on commercial sets. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and I think it was actually not a commercial, but the um, the Billie Eilish music video, uh -huh, and I think uh -huh. that you wanted to set up one final park in. Uh -huh. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, that, and that, you know, he was getting antsy, and he, like, knows he was yeah. getting antsy, and he was coming over, yeah. and, like, you, he's like, how much time you need? You said 10 minutes, and he said, okay, and then after, like, two minutes, he comes back, and you're like, listen, you, you said I could have 10. I'm going to take 10. You're going to be happy about it. <laughs> and I guess yeah. I want to, like, those, those are really intense moments, and how do, yeah. you, how do you negotiate them, or how do you, like, view things like that? Yeah, I mean, it's really knowing when to, to you can't you can't pull that card all the time. No, you know, it's knowing when that little thing is going to really push it over the edge. And I knew that one light was going to push it over the edge, you know, just because we it, it was that music video was a one take thing. And it was all this moving steady cam. Yeah. So we when we went, when we ended up with Billy, when she sat on the couch by this lamp and we ended up in that part of the room facing that way the whole background was completely black. And yeah. It just looked like shit. And it was just like, there was no dimensionality. Yeah. It's like, we just, we just need this, this little, I think it was just like a park in, you know, mm -hmm. um, just to, to backlight this dead zone here. Yeah. And, um, 
Yeah. And I think it totally transformed it. So I knew I was confident enough to know that like that one little thing would just would be worth the two minutes. Because I guess take. that's the thing is that but if you some are... things aren't. And that's that's the mm. lesson that I've learned in the past. It's like you fight for this. You're like, ah, well, you know, I, I really, you know, I could have I could have like done this in post or, or something like that. And it wasn't worth it. Yeah, I guess you, you have to genuinely be confident that the thing you're pushing back on is going to deliver. Yeah. You, you don't want them yeah, to exactly. like, and now I'm done. And they're like, oh, whatever. Like, that would be the yeah. worst. Yeah. And it's scary sometimes. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you never know 100%. You no, can have you a can't. good feeling. But, it, you know, a lot of times until you see it, yeah. you know. So. <laughs> I, wanted, yeah. I wanted to talk uh, about this, um, that video more, because um, it was just uh, gorgeous. And, and not just the way that, for that light in particular, that it um, worked to fill that black space. Was, was it also working to cast that glow on her when she sat down in the chair? Was it playing? That there? was or was that, that was one hundred percent the the practical lamp oh, okay. that she sat okay. next to. Because yeah. it, it was it was really pretty when she sat down. Um, yeah, thank you. That light just literally faded up at that moment. Oh, it was a gag. And then going, yeah. And then okay, cool. Down. Well, yeah, yeah, I wanted to talk about the one or more in general. Um, prepping for oneers like that, I'm always so curious. You know, how much of the creative. And by the creative, also like the blocking was understood beforehand because, you know, of course, so much comes down to the physical space that it's in. And then preparation before you know the space or before you could scout it, it feels like a chicken and egg kind of situation because you can't get in there until you get in there. How how do you deal with stuff like that? Yeah, that that thing was like 100 percent on the fly. It was like, how are we going to do this? And so that that space was like in an actual house. So she starts in that dining room, you know, mm-hmm. which is a practical dining room and pretty mm-hmm. much looked that way. And then when she goes into the next room, which was sort of like the, the you know, cabaret. cabaret style jazz lounge that we that the production designers pretty much built in yeah. the existing lim- living room. Yeah. And that was like because there were like skylights and floor to ceiling windows everywhere that mm-hmm. we had to black out and just essentially create this black box. So, yeah, it was hard to really know. And they were still, it was still kind of being built like that morning of the shoot. So, so it just kind of all came together. mm -hmm. Yeah, that that day. And um, once it was built, we just sort of improv and then kind of came up with this, this choreography with, with the amazing Steadicam operator, Orlando. So because Um, of the, so because the choreography and the blocking is only being decided then, are you only... What, were your, what was your lighting plan going in in terms of its, um, I guess, accuracy to the final product? Because you, you must have just been making up where you were going to put things based on where the blocking landed, because otherwise, how would you know? Yeah, 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 pretty much. I knew that it was going to be a combination of, like, we knew there was going to be a stage, so I knew I wanted to do, you know, stage lighting there. Mm-hmm. So that was a given, and then, you know, a spotlight on her, but I didn't really know about the couch that she was going to walk into the also starting in the dining room was a last minute thing that we just kind of felt in the moment oh, really? like oh cool what if she starts here i think she was just supposed to end there oh that adds that's so much was. to it <laughs> what's that that adds so much to it it's it did, crazy yeah, that that's a last it's a minute totally decision. different looking space so yeah just bringing her there we're like oh yeah that's cool and then she goes through the curtains and we thought the curtains weren't gonna look that great like behind behind them but they actually did they were fine and then um yeah and then she walks into that that spotlight Mm -hmm. um and then yeah after that it was just a matter of okay where is she going in the space and then we'd pop in a little park in or practical 
from there. And yeah, it was just all, like little, on, little... all on a dimmer board and I was riding the iris and yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, that that makes sense too. Um, was yeah. there any like aesthetic rules that you guys created to kind of have a visual language? Um, did you set up any limitations, like maybe you know, in terms of what lensing or anything like that, that kind of helped guide the, uh, the the look? Well, um, we shot anamorphic, and obviously it was only one lens because it's one take. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Um, our main visual influence was was the musical Chicago. We pulled a lot from I there. I see that for sure. And we knew we knew it wanted we wanted it to feel a little gritty, you know, not a polished version. Yeah. Um, but I guess the visual language was just really inspired by the song. Um, that really dictated, you know, the the choreography of the camera mm-hmm. and um, you know how how fast it was moving and mm-hmm. when it would push or pull or, or spin around. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a stunning song and it was, yeah. it was really, did yeah, you take into really account inspiring. Billie Eilish's, um, personality in terms of what the vibe was going to be? Cause it almost in some ways feels purposefully counter. It was actually her idea. The whole jazz lounge thing is something Doesn't she really wanted me. to do this, like Jessica rabbit mm. thing. Yeah. And so it, it came from there. So she sent us like. The Jessica Rabbit animation, like that. Oh, really? Video clip, and she'd put the song over that. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so, nice when they're that yeah. involved and in a way that it actually expresses their thoughts, like really well. Yeah. She's super, super creative. And it seems like she's always just, yeah, thinking of, of different ideas. But yeah, that's, that's where it stemmed from. And so we just kind of took that and ran with it. That's cool. The other video that I wanted to talk about was um, the PJ Morton, Everything's Going to Be All Right. Yeah, yeah I, that was a fun I, one. I love that one. I mean, the music's great. Thanks. It's obviously very soulful. Um, and then, you know, what you what you did with it with the visuals, I thought paired super well. Um, so the first thing I wanted to talk about was the, there was like a, a very single source feel to yeah. everything in that basement. And I mean, that's like particularly highlighted by when the lead singer is in that chair and he's 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 caught in that single source light and and it's so it's so stylistic like you, it goes back and forth between trying to keep this naturalistic vibe and then it's not that you hit him with hard light it's still soft but it's clearly shaped uh in that one shot that's very like the hero shot of him almost mm-hmm. and I, i'm wondering for for things like that um who at what point in the process does something like that get thought of and is that something where you're suggesting things to the director or is he like I have this shot in my head how does how does a shot like that come to be that was um I mean that that was a you know a a collaboration um the director Alindra um she she also came from a cinematography background so she's very visual Mm -hmm. um and yeah, for that one, we knew we wanted to isolate PJ and have this sort of like um, portrait-esque moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, a lot of that was just kind of like being in the space and getting inspired. And, and that was a really <laughs> thrown together music. Most of them seem to be. Um, so yeah, we, I don't know how, the idea for the shot, yeah, she knew she wanted to do this like, just like Dolly I think it was her. I, this was a while back, so forgive me. For, oh, yeah. No, um, I understand that. She, I think she knew, because everything else was handheld, mm-hmm. I think, for the most part. And that was the the pretty much only moment, this vignette that we created that was that was pretty controlled. And it was just, like, pushing and, and pulling on him. Um, 
but yeah, she, she knew she wanted that. And then we kind of collaborated on where we should do it and how, you know, and then there, he was next to a window and, you know, it was easy to source him to source light through the window. Yeah. It sounds like there was a lot of, um, just things being made on the fly, which I guess would make sense because it's the type of music video that has so many cuts to different things. You're like, wow, there must have been so much content. And then I always wonder when I see stuff like that. I'm like, for things that come together like that, what is is the shot list including all of these things or was there just more scenarios set up and you tried to just play in that scenario for a while and then whatever they grabbed out of it in the edit, they grabbed? That was pr- the latter, pretty much what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, this one all came together very quickly and not much prep at all. And it was just like on the day, this, this amazing location with these amazing characters with amazing costumes. And we knew, we, we, we kind of sketched out like general vignettes. Like there's this vignette by the kitchen sink and the window, the guy smoking. There's the vignette of the guys like playing cards and drinking and stuff. There's mm-hmm. the dance part. There's the exteriors and then there's PJ's portraits. So those were like the main, mm-hmm. you know, the main vignettes. And it was kind of, you were just firing off and trying to see... Was it almost in that sense documentary in a way that they were just being told uh, oh, behave yeah, and you were just going to shoot it? A little bit. I mean, once we it? got into the scene, it was we would talk about the specific shots. It's like, okay, this this looks cool if we you know, did this wide shot here, and then we come in and feel out some closer uh, coverage. Yeah, so. yeah. And then the last thing was, I always get so nervous when um, on my own shoots that there was a, a lot of great stuff that was shot right in the fading light of day. Uh, in the exteriors <laughs> and it almost looked like you must the amount of coverage that you got like you must have run through it a few times and i'm always amazed how do you deal with that uh, the reality that like that period of, that window is so small mm-hmm. how do you yeah. how do you prep for that you don't oh god <laughs> you make sure that mean, yes, you schedule it at the proper yeah, time you yeah. know um but this one it was a one-day shoot for all of that you no know so kidding. it was like yeah i know it was crazy this fly by the seat of our pants. I was like, okay, hurry up. We got to get the sunset. Let's go outside. And I forget how many times we did the, the song. Maybe, I mean, I think it was just like two, maybe so you, three. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely um, would have had more time. But yeah, life. just planning, you know, planning properly mm-hmm. the time of day is, is everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Because it's amazing that you got, you really were just kind of having the ability to be loose is so key. Um, yeah a lot of magic can happen that way and I feel like the more I do this and you know even for narrative stuff to a certain degree it's like I feel like in in the beginning for everything I shot I was just so like so just like worried about getting everything like perfect and and knowing all the shots exactly and like doing you know photo boards to a t and like Mm -hmm. you know and just really you know it was just boxing myself in but i'm I'm wanting less and less of that the more i do this because you you have to be open to see that magic yeah happen yeah yeah it's you can't you can't force those those things and yeah you a can't. lot of it is you're like how did they get that and like that shot ends up looking like oh that's a one in a million and it's kind of because it is and you manage yeah. to be there in that moment yeah. which you can't yeah. plan yeah, the, the real exactly. trick is at least staying open to it right right um and so you recently you just had a feature in this year's tribeca film festival yeah. that mm-hmm. you did with your husband yeah mm-hmm. um how what what was the genesis of that where did yeah, it start so um, the film is called Lost Bayou. Um, so it, we shot, um, last 
January, so January 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of came out, it, that was just basically a, a group of friends coming together, um, like longtime collaborators. Most of us are from South Louisiana, yeah. all going back to our, our near our hometowns and, and making this thing. So the same group of people, we tried to get something off the ground, another feature, maybe um, four or five, maybe five years ago, and, and just couldn't get any momentum trying another feature. And, and so this one came out of just like, okay, what can we make that's, um, you know, very doable? What do we have access to? Um, minimal amount of cast, minimal amount of locations. Um stuff like that and so Lost Bayou was born mm-hmm. um, and Brian knew he wanted to make a movie on a houseboat um, we knew we had access to some houseboats um, and this was near in the Atchafalaya Basin which is um, southwest Louisiana mm-hmm. uh, in a small town called Henderson um, and it's near where Brian grew up and not far from where I grew up and um, yeah so we we just did it we just um we're just like, we're doing it no matter what and um, not going to let anything stop us. And then it, it kind of grew bigger and bigger as we started planning for it. Um, and yeah. And then um, it it got into the IFP uh, well, narrative post labs yeah, last before, year. Before we get into where it got into, just, just to talk about the, the film for a second. Um, uh-huh. Was it some something that you, you guys were just scrounging up your own cash but you did it in a way where it was like using everything that you guys had access to and all of your local abilities yeah, that that was the idea at first it was like you know it was just kind of like fuck it we're just gonna do this no matter what and yeah. we'll, we'll, you know we'll use our camera or whatever we can beg and borrow on steel um how many we'll initial people were in the core in the core um uh group of people and what what roles did they do um, well, let me finish that first thing because oh, sorry, I yeah. want to say that like that was I that was the momentum that the project needed mm-hmm. to to actually get more funding, mm-hmm. a little more funding. Not a lot. It was still very low budget, but then an investor came on board and and gave us a chunk, and then we got a grant from this um, this uh, organization called Create Louisiana, and in, included in that grant was um, a camera package from Airy Rental, and then some cash. And we got a little bit from a student spark thing. So it, it grew to a place where like, okay, yeah, we can, we can work with this. We were able to have a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, again, not a ton, but, but enough to, to get by. But as far as like the core, um, as far as like the crew on set or just like, well, I was just um, curious of the type of people that were at the beginning. Cause it was, yeah. I guess it was the director, so DP, was, or you know, Brian, yeah, Brian Hunter, who's one of the writers and producers. He's mm-hmm. also an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, who's the other writer, um, Kenny Reynolds, who's a producer. Um, there are a few other producers. And that was that all was from the beginning. Good. What's that? That was all of them were in from the beginning. Yeah, that's that's a pretty solid group. Um, yeah. Well, I, I guess some of the other producers came on board a little later. Okay. Closer to shooting. Yeah, Kenny came on a little closer to shooting. So it was really like um, Brian Hunter. Mostly Brian and Hunter doing a lot of a lot of the, the heavy lifting. Cool. Yeah. And then in terms of the actual shooting, obviously shooting in the bayou has a fair set of challenges, yeah, uh, physically and te- <laughs> technically. What were some of the harder things that you had to handle, and how'd you do it? I mean, yeah, shooting on boats in general. I think we had five or six different boats in the movie. 
mm-hmm. know, including the houseboat. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, the, the challenges of, of shooting on water. Um, also, sh- the so it never snows in South Louisiana. Yeah. But uh, that winter was the coldest winter in like 20-something years. So it, it snowed. snowed on day one of production. Oh, wow. So we lost a day. So that set us back. We, we only had 15 days to begin with. Yeah. Uh, that made it rather challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, every boat broke at some point in time. <laughs> yeah. um, there were, you know, a handful of scenes. For the majority of the movie, we could shoot, because the idea was uh, one of the main characters lives on this houseboat, and it's supposed to be isolated in the middle of the basin, mm-hmm. nothing around it. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, we could shoot at dock, so I could light from the dock, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but there were some times where we had to shoot on the porch of the houseboat and we had to, you know, be able to see around the surrounding area. So we had to bring it out to the middle of nowhere. So that was, that was pretty challenging. Are you bringing lights um, on boats? Yeah. We had a, like a little power? pontoon boat where we'd have um, grip and lighting mm-hmm. on, on that pontoon boat right against the window. Yeah. Um, most of the stuff that we shot when the boat was out there was time of day, like exterior stuff. We had a sunset. Yeah magic hour scene and that was nerve-wracking and it was a pretty long scene we had to do all in magic hour and i don't know how the hell we pulled it off but we did, did you do it in one magic hour yeah really yeah single cam and single camera how three, much coverage three angles oh my gosh it. yeah <laughs> and, it, and it cuts it, you, the, it cuts yeah yeah wow and, and I yeah. guess, is that just because the actors were, were nailing it on takes? You just didn't have a high did, take? yeah. Or? I think we did two full takes of the scene from oh, top to bottom. That's not a lot at all. Yeah. Wow. Um, but we we averaged maybe three to four. Okay. Know, for any any given setup, just because you know, the shooting schedule. Yeah, know, yeah. Was there, a point, was there a point in time, either during production or maybe when you started to see cuts come together, that you felt like, wow, like we really are making something quite special that you you started mm-hmm. to feel confident about in terms of what where it could go was there some time yeah. that, it, that it hit I f- you i felt that while we were shooting really 100 in a way that you don't feel on other yes shoots. what was yeah. how would you what was different um it was just man it it, it, it that energy of of um i don't know how to put it like just the, the energy that was was on, that was on set between the crew and the actors. It was just a palpable thing of like something that, that it was special and everyone was just so into their jobs and contributing um, on all fronts, you know? And, and I think it just started with, and I know it just started with just everyone believing in the story and in, in the film from the beginning. That's before fascinating. They signed on, That's fascinating you know? that, the, I mean, cause those, those are good vibes and good vibes are certainly necessary on a shoot. But I yeah. feel like you could have those, but the content doesn't necessarily deliver for what it needs to in order to get into a, something like Tribeca. Yeah. But it's interesting yeah. that you're viewing those vibes as the reason, per se, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 not just the the, the only thing, but I think sure. you know because on paper, I think the script was great, mm-hmm. you know. And um, after I read it for the first time, I'm like. I, I'm a, and I was on board no matter what. It's my friends, but I yeah. was like, yes, this is this is this is a story that needs to exist in mm. the world for sure. Yeah. And I think everybody felt that way as well. And um and and that energy just 
just remained from the entire shoot, no matter how cold or, or hard it was. And, and everyone's there because they wanted to be there. They're not making their full day rates. You yeah. know, it's, it's an ultra low budget mm-hmm. film. Um, so everyone is there because they, yeah, because they believe in it. Um, and, and that was incredibly special because you, you don't feel that on everyone, you know? No, no, you definitely don't. And when you do, yeah. those, those are the things you're like, I, I want that all the time. I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You really uh, cherish those experiences. Yeah. And then yeah. It's, it's really nice when those experiences then go the full distance. Cause what was yeah. it? Cause it's one, obviously it's always special to get into something like Tribeca, but then that it came from that place that was so wholesome with yeah. all of your friends, yeah. um, that it's, it's even more special. What was it like to get the news? Oh man, it was, it was amazing. Um, we, it was surreal. Like I don't, we were like waiting for them to call back and be like, ah, never mind. It was, it was actually <laughs> another film called Plus Five. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, to go, to add um, another layer of, of what we were saying, just, I think because the majority of the crew and cast are from that Southwest Louisiana area mm-hmm. called Acadiana is the name of the area. Um, and that are a part of the Cajun culture. We were so proud to put that on screen because you never see it you never see it done well. You never see it done right. And, and so we felt a responsibility um, to represent our culture in, in a, a meaningful way. And, um, and, you know, it wasn't a story. It's a universal story that yeah. happens to take place in, in Acadiana, in South Louisiana. So that made us really proud. And I think, you know, that was another big reason why everyone believed in it. And yeah. was excited to do it. Well, like your identity as artists is somewhat wrapped up in place. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, do you find that there's, I guess, no, I was going to say that anything from that you bring that, that sort of, um, I don't know if, if Louisiana style has been influencing you in other ways. Yeah. Do you, do yeah. You think so? I think so. I think I it's, so. it's might be hard to articulate, but yeah. I feel like I've gotten that before. Like I've, I think, you, you feel that in, in my work and I don't know, I, I'm in, I am inspired by my surrounding. I live in, in New Orleans. Um, so I, I don't know what that is, but I, I, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, I guess, I don't know. It's a combination of just the, the, the spirit of this place and, and the heat <laughs> and, and what that looks like in a way, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, New Orleans is, it, it almost, it could feel like a, Southern Louisiana can feel like a separate country, yeah. In a way, totally. its own its own totally. place. Um, yeah. Obviously, the French influence just, and then the Creole. Everything is just not. Mm-hmm. There isn't anything like that anywhere else in the country. That's for sure. Yeah, there's not. There's not. Um, so w- once you got in, uh, it's been interesting talking to people who have gotten into major festivals, and kind of compare and contrast how they viewed that opportunity and what about it they were either excited by or nervous about. Um, in terms of China, there's this tension that you kind of feel like you want to maximize the opportunity uh, when you're mm-hmm. there. And mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear how you dealt with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think inevitably you have all of these expectations, you know, built up, you know, before. And um, so there is some sort of letdown when some of those expectations aren't met, of course. Yeah. Um, I think a big thing that we the team took away from Tribeca this year is just like, you know, sometimes, and, and this goes with, with any major film festival, um, you know, yeah, especially in the indie scene and, and 
maybe just in the film industry in general, but like sometimes, a lot of times having a good film is, is not the only thing you need. You know, it's, it's who's, who's the cast, who's mm. the producers, mm-hmm. what is the story behind the story? Yeah. You know, what, what, how did you get here? Yes. How did you make it? You know, who are you? You know, all yeah. of these like, the film is in a vacuum surrounding the film. The film can't just be it. Yeah. You know, cause there, there's so much, there's so much content out there. So what else sets your film apart? Okay. Being good check, but yeah. Yeah. So that, that That's was the a big takeaway. Yeah. That, oh, you got that takeaway from going and talking to people, and like that's that was well, your takeaway from being there. Yeah, yeah, Be- from being there and um, and just seeing, um, yeah, just the whole experience of 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 premiering there, um, and I don't know, and just like under because there there's so many there's you know a good amount of films that premiere there as mm-hmm. well. So, um, you know, just you, you want to stand out from the other films, of course, and mm-hmm. you want to get people to, to come to your screenings and, and watch your films. And so it, it's, it's also hard to break through that world as well, just, just in the festival itself. So it's, it's like, what else sets you apart? Yeah, yeah. Did you take anything upon yourself that you wanted to, I don't know, accomplish while there in terms of talking to people or that um, kind of thing? Not really. I mean, you know, of course, it'd be, it's, it's always good to, to meet other filmmakers, mm-hmm. directors and producers and stuff. Yeah. But I didn't really have any specific goals. I just wanted to enjoy the festival, enjoy the premiere. And I was just super proud of what we made. So, you know, I just wanted to like, I was excited just to not work and just to, yeah. to be at a festival and just to celebrate the work. Yeah, you it's know? thrilling. So. Um, and, and yeah, and talk to people about the film and then, and, and just seeing people, um, be moved while they were watching the film was just, was super. Yeah. And especially bringing, bringing the Bayou to, you know, New York city. Yeah. Uh, It's obviously such a different, it's such a stark difference and it would be different than if it was like a New Orleans premiere or something like that. Yeah, totally. You're bringing something foreign into those, those theaters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. And then I guess that was the, this is the culmination of years of on and off working with your husband. So the fact that that achievement comes, uh, in this way must be absolutely like the cherry on top. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's a special thing that we have. It it really is, you know, um, it's, it's, it's hard to put into words sometimes, you know, and and it's, it can be, of course, very challenging (laughs) at times. Um, but we've learned so much through the years, um, but to be able to do, and this was his first feature as a director. Um, but yeah, to have his first feature film premiere at Tribeca and get the attention that I got was just huge. And the fact that we did that together and we did it with our friends, is just such a, such a special thing. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Um, looking into the future, what, what kind of, and I guess this is similar in terms of my question earlier about, you know, how were you trying at least to navigate it and steer the career? Do you have thought like intentional proactive ways about how you want to take things into the future? Or are you just tra- trying to let, see whatever comes up? Yeah. I mean, a little bit of both. Cause I think you only have so much control. Yeah. But, you know, I think you still can kind of steer things in a way. But it's really, you know, working with with directors um, 
you know, who are like-minded and who, who want to go there, you know, who want to get deep and want to, um, that seems to be the biggest thing for you. together. What's like that? that seems to be the biggest thing for you. And the, the conversation where like the, the reasons behind mm-hmm. everything and like getting like, but why, 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 why? Like, um, yeah, I'm a big why person. Yeah. yeah well, it's why? like, why are we doing this? And what does it mean? Yeah. Not just because it's cool, you know, but, um, but yeah, let's let's invent a visual language together for this film that can only be for this film. Right. You know that that's the most exciting thing. So just like continually finding collaborators who who have that mindset. You know. Yeah. Well, because it could be um, um, to the wrong person who doesn't. It could be like too much. Like uh, Ryan was joking that um, he knows he has to have so many thoughts prepared when he's working with Matt Ballard. Because he just is like drilling down, but why? What? Like to the yeah. point that Ryan's like, well, sh- I don't know, man. Like it gets to a point where it, it, it's it's a lot. But I could understand coming from um, a DP's perspective that all of that is baked in some way or another, even in a subconscious level, into like why you're making grand sweeping macro choices about the film down to a micro yeah. detail about a very specific shot. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, yeah, I, I mean, the last thing I want to be is arbitrary, you know. Exactly. So that's, that's understanding the why, um, it, especially for narrative. I think it's a little different for commercials. I think hmm. the why is already kind of figured out. You know, you're just hired to, to more or less make something look cool. You know, it's 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 hard to really get deep in that space. Yeah. Um, but, but in features, you can. And mm-hmm. you can explore character and... Um, emotionality of each scene you could you know I just I love to break down each scene and uh, understand whose perspective we're in and why and do we switch perspectives at a certain a certain time um and then and then using all of that information to translate to something visual like Mm -hmm. that that is the ultimate you know are Um, those is that that seems like a very specific process to you do you feel like you have um specific questions that you ask yourself when reading each scene in terms of like point of view there's this kind of like this set of questions for a scene breakdown that i like to ask like i sit down with the director and ask um and um actually brian and i started doing that um with lost bayou and i've 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 applied it to other projects as well with other directors and it's just like it 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 really gives you the foundation for each scene It, it lays all the groundwork and really helps both of you understand like you know, from what, what the scene is about to whose perspective are we in? Yeah. What are the subtextual layers mm-hmm. in the scene? Um, you know, stuff like that. And so, yeah, you just go scene by scene and, and answer those questions. And then after that, it's like, okay. And, and you know, it just, that sort of guides you to all of your visual decisions. And That's then the best you know, thing. when you're on set and you might get lost or you're like, uh, would it, you know, you, you lose your place or whatnot, then you can go back to those, those questions and, and it sort of is your, you know, your blueprint. Yeah, no, totally. I think that that's, that makes all the sense just because it's the way that you can know, for example, I'm just thinking that the thing that comes to mind is like some epic line is being delivered, but because you did that process, you know that the camera shouldn't be on them. It should be on the person they're saying it exactly. to. Exactly, yeah. Those perspective are, is the biggest thing. Yeah. To know yeah. like whose perspective are you in. Those are the things that you could only know, um, that you could only know by going through a process like that to begin with. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and also by, you know, knowing the why of everything, I'm a much better collaborator. 
you know, because if something's not working, then I can suggest something coming from a more grounded, informed place. Yeah. Because I, I know why we're doing it. It's not just like, okay, well, this might look cool. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, that, that's, that's part of my job. How much have you, do you think you've been um, pushing that aspect of your prep? Because I would imagine in the beginning you weren't doing that. Like this, it, would yeah. imagine, it seems like your prep has been really you know, developing. I was, I was doing that. Yeah actually in in shorts and stuff but in a less formal way i would just i don't know i guess it was just like an, a, a natural thing for me to want to know why so mm. i would just ask directors a ton of questions and want to talk about the why and the story before we even talked about shots and, and i found myself a lot you know in the, the earlier shorts i shot it was like you know maybe they would want to start just dive in with, with a shot list. I'd be like, and I would just feel so disoriented. Like, well, why, what are we, what are we doing here? It's like, let's just talk about the script first and the story. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then once I understood what and why we were doing, then I feel like I could make more, um, just better decisions. So yeah, I was more or less always doing that. And, um, and just sort of like a couple years ago, just, I formalized it, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Um, so, and, and most directors are pretty much all directors that um, I've done this with are love it because it, it gets them thinking of um, things maybe they hadn't considered or things that they thought they knew, but actually maybe they want to explore something else and, and it, it sparks conversation. It's also a way for, um, you know, for us to bond. So if I haven't worked with someone before, yeah. it's definitely a way for, for us to sort of develop a, a shorthand. And- yeah, I think above everything, because obviously there's all of the artistic benefits of it, but it's also, I think what you were talking about, that you, you understand their reasons for things, and then they understand your reasons for things, because in a heated moment when there might be a disagreement about something, or even in something like that Ryan Booth example with the, the parkan and, and, the, and the music video, that if you understand if both people understand that the other person knows well why they're making their choices, then there's like a certain level of respect that each other has. Like, well, if they know exactly where I'm coming from and they're saying this, then maybe I should give it a shot versus he doesn't know what I'm talking about. Exactly. And that causes yeah. such a big issue. It, it creates for more of like an empathetic collaboration. Yeah. That's the word. You know? Yeah, completely. Well, I feel like that is, uh, that's been a great hour and Really great talking to you. Thanks so much for um, yeah. explaining those two videos and then also the uh, the Tribeca video. I can't wait to check it out. Yeah. Um, when do you yeah, think it might be available? It'll, do you know? It'll be out in the world uh, one day soon, but it'll it'll be on its... Uh, it's on a long journey for, right journey now, for sure. And then we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, well, thank you for your time. Yeah. This is fun. Thanks okay. for having me. Bye.